Let's go to Romans chapter 12 once again, and I want to um, continue from where I left off this morning. This I prepared a lesson or a message this morning with the introduction to Romans, and I thought, well, I'm just going to tuck a sermon at the end of this, you know, in case I run out of information to say, amen. And I didn't get through my introduction, <laughs> so that's just the way it always is. And uh, But I thought it was interesting as I was going through, the Lord was just speaking to my heart, and uh, it's amazing as you study, just uh, the Lord develops things in your mind and the direction and the vision that you have for what you're trying to get across. And, um, you know, dividing up the book really helps us understand that. Uh, we're looking at the first part of the book being some very foundational truths in relation to uh, salvation and sanctification. You look at Romans chapter 7, <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, just powerful truths about how the Holy Spirit works in our heart and so forth and the security, assurance of salvation. And uh, then, of course, 9 to 11, which is dealing with the dispensational truths of Israel and how that, uh, you know, God wanted us to know in the middle of that doctrinal book at the beginning of the, the church epistles that we're supposed to use as our foundation. He says, don't you forget that I'm not done with Israel. I still got a plan for them, amen, and I love them, and there's a plan for their salvation, and there's a plan for us using them once again, and, uh, and so he kind of tucks that in there, and he, I think he's kind of trying to also, uh, for us as the Gentile believers, is tell us that, hey, don't get so high and mighty here, just that you've been chosen now to, to do this in this dispensation of time. Don't think for a second that we can't shut you down or I can't deal with you. And, uh, and that's why he said, uh, you know, in Romans, I think it's chapter 11, uh, he says, if, if God is able to engraft you in, he can engraft them back in as well. And so be careful about your pride in relation to thinking that. And, that, and the problem is that's what's going on today. The church, a lot of churches are talking like that. You know, oh, well, we've taken the place of Israel. We're gonna, we are now the new Israel uh, that's a pretty proud statement, <laughs> you know. Uh, we are a holy nation, but this nation is not a physical uh, nation on this earth. It's a spiritual nation. It's different than Israel. Israel has very definite physical boundaries that will exist during the millennial reign, not the church. And so it is different. Yet the principles uh, connecting the two are the same, and that's important. And uh, I, did, I was just thinking, as, as I was talking about sanctification this morning, there's one verse I wanted to point out. In fact, as I was uh, thinking about Romans, one of the verses that really stuck out to me that I was almost going to use as a theme verse for this particular series, uh, in verse 22 of Romans chapter 6, it says, Being now, being, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'll get this right, but now being made free from sin." And become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. That verse right there is everything. That is the whole Christian life from beginning to end in one capsulized verse. Uh, being made free from sin, salvation, servants to God, fruit unto holiness, and then after that, after we're done serving and bringing forth fruit, we have everlasting life awaiting for us. Amen. And so what a powerful verse. And so that tells me, and this is what I've been burdened about, um, Christianity today, it's about, oh, I'm saved, 
Uh, that's all it's about here. Now that I'm saved, I'm just going to go be a Christian and do the things that I want to do. <laughs> you know, no, no, you're saved and you're saved for a purpose. You, you are saved for a reason. And there's a purpose that God has you on this planet. It's not just, it's not to make money. God may let you make money, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to bring forth fruit unto holiness. You are supposed to help the Lord build his kingdom while you're here. Amen. And as a byproduct within that whole thing, you will be working and you will make some money and you will use that for God's glory. And you may buy yourself a new truck and you may buy yourself a skidoo or whatever you, you buy. Amen. I've never bought a skidoo in my life. But, you know, I'm not against those kind of things. But folks, you got to remember that is not your purpose. Your purpose is not to just get comfortable and to just enjoy the possessions you have. I mean, you can enjoy it and you should, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose is greater than that. Amen. And so just like I thought with the, with the aspect of the Pilgrim's Progress this morning with John Bunyan, see what confuses a lot of people with that book is they, they don't want to go past the cross. They say, why are you doing all this stuff past the cross? Let's not talk about all that. Let's just get saved and we'll, our burdens are, way, are gone now. And so now let's just enjoy life. <laughs> well, that's not the way it is. You see, with the Lord, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Amen? That's the process. Now you're saved and you are definitely going to stay saved. But even though you are saved, you still have to be delivered in this present world and you have to continually be saved in your practical personal life. And then you also will be saved on that day of the redemption when the bodies, our bodies will raise from the grave and the resurrection will take place. And so I'm just really, as we go through this book of Romans, I want us to catch that. This is bigger than salvation, even though salvation is big. And we're going to make much of the great and powerful doctrines that are involved in salvation. There's so many great things that will, that will just solidify your assurance of your place before God. Uh, but we're going way past that. Way, way, way past that. We're going down the road toward the celestial city here. We are, we are trekking through and facing some of those enemies and, and dealing with some of the issues of change and so forth in our life and the deception uh, many times as he was walking down the road, may I have to bring this into our study somehow with Pilgrim's Progress, but as he's walking down that road, he had people that would come along and try to deceive him to, take, to make a wrong turn and to, to stop for a little while, take a rest and slow down and all these different things happen to him along this journey. <laughs> That's what happens with us. It doesn't take long when I see someone get saved and, and start uh, you know, going forward for God. I'm saying, what is it the devil's going to use to try to get them to stop? Because you can be sure if, uh, you know, if you are going forward for God, there is a target on you. And the devil has already started a strategy for your life. And he's working it out. And so he's so subtle that sometimes you're in the middle of it and you've fallen into his grasp and you don't even understand that you have. Because you think you're in control. And he's the master of that. He's the master of making you think that you're calling the shots. When in all reality, if you would try to free yourself from that decision, you'd find out there's a chain already fastened to your leg. Amen. And you just, whoop. <laughs> Anybody can say I'm free as long as they don't feel that the chain's on their leg. 
But it's just when you go somewhere the devil doesn't want you to go, that's when you feel that there's a bondage that's going on in my life. The duty to serve, we looked at, just touched on that this morning a little bit, is, uh, you know, starting in Romans chapter 12, it says here in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And here's our theme verse. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's some important things involved here that we need to understand as we go forward in this study. And I want to bring that out tonight uh, and talk about this aspect of transformation in the Romans project. Amen. You're a project of God and God wants to transform you. He wants to renovate you. He wants to change you. And so we need to find out what this means. Now the word transformation in this passage is denoting a change of place or condition uh, to form or to transform, transfigure, or to change one's form. And so you, you know what's going on here. God wants you different than you are right now. The form you're in must change. Now, what's he talking about? More exercise for the new year? Uh, let's get a gym membership? Well, that can be a form that needs a change. <laughs> Amen. But that's not what God's talking about. He's talking about the inner form. The inner form. That's uh, the same word that we use to describe the transfiguration of Jesus Christ in Matthew 17, verse 2. It says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So the same word for transformation for us is the same word they used when Jesus transfigured before them on that mountain. And so that's exactly what we're looking for here. We're looking for a glorification, a glorification of the soul. We know the body won't be glorified until the resurrection, but your soul needs to be glorified. Your soul needs to be uh, conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus maintained who he was, but the glory of God came upon him. That's the thing with Jesus. It came so easily upon him that day, there was no layers. You understand that? So what he was before was what he was after. He was the same before the transfiguration as he was after, except his appearance had changed, but his glory was the same because there were no layers. There was no sin. There was no lies. There was no dark cloud. There was no bitterness. There was no anger. None of these things were existing with him. So to him, that transformation was just so easy. It was just, he was up there also, whoosh, there he is. Yet he's the same, but he's different. That's the way we'll be on the, the resurrection day. And the Lord will grant us a new body and we'll stand before transfigured before the Lord. Except with us, we'll see a huge difference between the inner form from what we were before to what we were after. Because there's much to do here, amen? Much to do in our hearts. So the first thing we need to consider here, number one, is to present yourself to God. And I got three points here. Present means to cause, to stand near, or before. And so, um, this is like a subject of a kingdom that would come before their king. Now, when you come before a king, you're not there to hang out. You're not just there to look good. When you come before a king, there's probably one thing on your mind, and that is to subject yourself to the king's authority. You understand? 
Now, you, maybe you had a petition. Maybe there's something you require. But within that, that, that petition to the king, you're subjecting yourself. You're not saying, hey, I'm going to do what I want, but you need to do this for me. That's no way to pray to the Lord. Amen? But what you do to the Lord is you subject yourself to him. You say, Lord, uh, I am your servant. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Amen? And Lord, I have these needs. If you could please help me. And he says, well, I will gladly help my servant. And, and he will help his people. Amen? And that's how prayer is. Prayer is that you need to present yourself in order even to have answered prayer. If we're not surrendered to the Lord, there is no answered prayer. There's no surrender to his will. The Bible says if we ask anything according to his will, he will give it to us. Do we even know what his will may be? <laughs> the new Bugatti or Lamborghini probably isn't the will of God for you in Canada. And if you're praying for a Telus, uh, or Telus, uh, Tesla, <laughs> Pray for Telus too, but <laughs> if you're praying for about a Tesla, probably not the greatest thing in Canada. Amen. Well, Trudeau would tell you differently. But you know, in re relation to this pre presentation, I want to point out this: the first move is your move. That's the first thing we need to get across here. It's not God's move; it's your move. That means the 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 piece has been moved on the chessboard, and He's waiting for a response from you. So when it says present your bodies a living sacrifice, he's saying it's up to you now. Now you need to do something. You need to make yourself available. You need to come before the king. You need to stand near him and say, Lord, I'm just here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I really don't know what to do. But all I know is if I want to know what to do, I have to be close to you. And as you're that, the king looks to you one day and says, you know what, I got this thing I need to be done and I would like you to go do it. And because you're sitting there already standing near to him, willing to do whatever the king wants, you're saying, yes, I will do that. I've been waiting for you to ask. Amen? Many people want God to smack them in the head with the will of God for their life. That's not the way it works. You see, there's a process to get to that will of God at the end of that theme verse. It doesn't just happen. It's not just something that magically appears, you know, it's something that has to be proven. It's going to take work on your part to find God's will for your life. It's not just while you sit and do nothing. It's not while you play around with the world. It's not while you make money your God and other things. It's going to be as you stand near to the king. Amen? I think the big aspect of presentation is also submitting. In James 4, verse number 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. This word, submit yourselves to God, means simply this, to place yourself in order, to place under in an orderly fashion. So whenever you're talking about submission, the world hates the word. Carnal Christians hate that word. I've talked submission to somebody that was carnal in the church, and no, no, I don't want to submit. Well, well then you're never just going to go forward for God. <laughs> you know, submission is the way forward. And so the word submission is to place yourself in order. And a lot of people don't want to submit because they don't want to be in the place that God has called them to be. This whole aspect of the feminist movement and uh, the different movements that are out there is just people saying, I want to be in my own place. I'm going to dictate where I am, when I'm there, and what I want to do. Placing myself in place as a pastor is I need to do what a pastor needs to do here. And if I'm not, then I'm not submitting unto God. 
So here I am scared of how people are going to react to the preaching and I don't preach to you. I hold it back. Well, that's a lack of submission on my part. <laughs> you understand? If I submit to the Lord, I will put myself into place and say what I need to say, preach what I need to preach, and take the consequences of whatever that is. If you want to be a good son in your home, you have to submit in your home. <laughs> now, firstly, the Lord, but also to your parents or your daughter as well. Amen? And that means you got to put yourself in your place. In order for you to be a good son, you have to live within submission. If you don't live within submission, you are outside of that submission, which means you will never go forward for God. Yes, and a wife needs to submit to her husband. <laughs> this is where social media will just ring itself off. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm just talking what the Bible says. But that doesn't mean she's less important than the husband. <laughs> it doesn't mean she's less intelligent. It doesn't mean that she, doesn't, she has less talent and abilities. It just means that God has chosen an order to function in, and we need to find what, where God has us in his order, not in yours, not in the world's, not in what people think ought to be done, but you need to find out where is it that God has put me, and I want to place myself in submission at that point. If you're a church member, stop being the pastor. A lot of people think they can do what the pastor does, and they go around talking like, I would do this, and I would do this. You do a lot better just being what you're supposed to be, and that's a good church member. <laughs> you're not submissive by trying to take control of things in the church. You understand? Now, you may be smarter than me. doesn't take much to be that. <laughs> Amen? You may have more abilities and talent. You may even be a better preacher than me. But it doesn't really matter because... This is simply where the Lord has put me, and that's simply where the Lord has put you, and where the Sunday school teachers are, that's where the Lord has put them, and each one of us have to present ourselves and submit within his calling as to what the Lord has for us. And if you're a wife, then be a wife. If you're a husband, then be a husband. A husband uh, isn't uh, a submissive husband. Now, you've got to be submissive as a husband as well. It's not just relegated to the wife. Well, who do we submit to? Well, the first Corinthians chapter 11 talks about how our head is Christ. Now, we may be the head of the wife, but Christ is the head of the husband. So we can pretend like we're on the top of the chain here and we're Mr. Authority. I'm sorry, if there's a stop in your authority and it stops at you, you're out of place. Our submission must be in place. Amen. The husband must rule the home as under Christ. As Christ speaks to him, he speaks to his wife. You, the parents, speak to the children. And everybody stays in their place and God gets glorified. And that's how we move forward, finding the will of God. A rebel never finds the will of God. Someone that bucks their place never finds the will of God. That's a, sad, a very sad thing. It burns my heart when people just leave church. When people just quit on God and, well, I don't think you're right. I'm going to do my own thing. Well, I know what you think you're right. But what you've just done is gone against the word of God. And because of that, until you get that right, you will never go forward for God. Because you're not submitting where God has put you. Amen. And folks, it's so important. Please don't let the devil do that to you. I know the world says, you got every right to do it. Yes, you do. 
But we're not talking about the world. We're talking about our king. We're talking about a very structured system that he has developed in the word of God for us to thrive in. And if we're going to thrive, we have to operate by this book, not by the world standard, not by the world structure. Amen? And so, um, the biggest sin that ever took place was when Lucifer wanted to call his own shots and place himself on equality with God. Biggest sin. <laughs> and that is being replicated day after day on this, in this world. Even in Christians' lives, we replicate that same problem over and over and over again. He lost his place in the first estate because of that sin, where he could never be redeemed. Lucifer will burn, and he will be in hell in the lake of fire for eternity. And those that follow his way, that rebellious way, will follow him into that lake of fire, you know? But yet, we as Christians that are saved, we do it. We replicate that same formula sometimes within our lives, among our families, as a child in the home, or maybe as a wife to a husband, or maybe as a husband to the Lord in the home and not taking the leadership the way we ought to by bringing our children to church and, and not falling for, well, I'm just tired, I want to go to church. Okay, let's watch TV today. No, that's where you submit to Christ. Submit to Christ. Now, folks, there's sick, sick people today. I'm not saying if you're sick, <laughs> come to church and get us all sick. The Lord is, is not a hard taskmaster, amen? But I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. And you know when it's real or when it's not. And it doesn't matter what I think about that because you've got your own walk with your God. Amen? Submission, very important. The second point is reject the world's mold. Reject the world's mold. Remember this morning how I said that in order for us to actually grow and move forward, there has to be two things happening. Something has to be removed and something has to be placed in. And that's really the key here. <laughs> rejecting the world's mold is actually rejecting anything that's trying to be put into your life that is not lining up with the scriptures, not lining up with the word of God. And so here it says, and be not conformed to this world. That's another step. So present yourself, stand near to the Lord, but then also don't be conformed to this world. So this is a part of knowing God's will for your life. This is a part of the project. This is part of your, your final end and what do you want to accomplish in your Christian life. You need to understand it has a lot to do with how you handle this world. Now, Christians, they don't like this part. This is the part, no, I understand the submission thing. I'm working on it. But this world thing, they love the world. <laughs> we got the world in our church. We got the world in our music. We got the world everywhere. And I'm just not willing to let go of the world. Well, you may think that you're standing near to Christ, but you're really not because throughout the scriptures, he's telling us to get away from that world. Don't be conformed. The word conformed, it simply means this, to fashion or to fashion a light conformed to the same pattern outwardly. And so we know that's not just outward. We know that conforming, is, it's really an outward, um, the evidence is outward. The world, it's always about what you see. That's why the Bible says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see, a lot of people say, well, I know I'm doing wrong, but the Lord knows my heart. 
<laughs> well, he didn't say present your heart to the Lord. He said, present your body. You want to do the will of God? Your body's got to be in the Lord's hands. He's got to be the one controlling what your body does. <laughs> That's why within the book of Romans, we'll look further on how it says that we're supposed to yield our instruments as our, our members as instruments of righteousness. So he's talking about transferring that inner surrender to our members. Amen? So it is important. And it's just not going to fly with God. <laughs> this whole argument, the Lord knows by heart. I mean, I'll tell you something. When you see God, that's the last statement that you'll say. Because in that moment, you're going to know exactly what that statement means. It's going to be not like, oh, well, the Lord knows my heart. It's going to be, the Lord knows my heart. Do you understand that? See, down here, it's a justification of sin. Up there, it's a, it's a dreaded fear of knowing that God is peering with those eyes of flame into my soul. And there's no, nothing I can do to stop it. Amen. <laughs> and by the way, the same eyes that are peering will be peering at you at the judgment seat when you meet the Lord are the same eyes that's peering at you this evening. The Bible says that all things are open unto him with whom we have to do. Amen. And Jesus Christ is with whom we have to do. And so he knows our heart. We don't have to, we don't have to come up with an excuse, you know. So what we're talking about is an outward change, but it has to do with an inward problem. And so conformed. It's interesting that word for conformed, it's, uh, I don't know how to say this. I'm going to try. Schematio. That's Greek, right? Now, schematio. Now, what does that remind you of? Where do you get that from? Schematic. The schematic. So do not follow the schematic of this world. Don't fall into the schematics. You know what schematics are, right? It's the plan. It's the the detail of how things work and how, they, uh, how, how it uh, is put together and so forth. Don't fall within that. Don't be conformed to that when it comes to the world. Now, the word world here, it's interesting in the scripture, there's more than one definition of the world. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. But then he tells us, don't love the world. <laughs> you know, you say, well, Lord, make up your mind. You want me to love the world or not love the world? Well, he says, the world for for God so loved the world is the, world is the word cosmos. It's talking about the people. It's talking about all the people that have ever been created. He says, I love the world of people. This world is aeon, which is talking about the age, the age that we live in. He says, this I don't want you to be conformed to. <laughs> this is what I don't want you to love. We're living at a time where this age Folks, you know how people are falling for what's going on today with the woke stuff and different things like that. Don't be conformed to that. Uh, it was, I was blown away the one time where I was talking to somebody in this room. They came to church and they were talking about same-sex marriage. And they said, well, you know, I think as long as two people love each other. I was kind of... I just said, no. <laughs> See, the problem with that is that's not according to God's schematic. <laughs> God's blueprint. You're going against God in that. But this, this person had fallen headlong into the idea 
of the world, what the world was, was promoting. So this person, you could definitely say you are a worldly person. You're living after the world. You are conforming your life to this world. The whole abortion thing, euthanasia, the things that are out there today, this age and the thing it's trying to promote to you, this system. And there is a system there and the devil's behind it. And the devil's working hard to promote it and he's got people. And folks, I am convinced that there's many, many people that are Satan worshipers that are at the heart of all of this stuff that are leaders in our countries and that are leaders of important businesses and so forth that follow the devil. That, God, that the devil uses to promote these things. In, in the social media realm, in the, the press and the, and the different businesses, I believe there's Satan is working big time in all these different places. Saying, Lord, how can I ever fight this? He says, you don't worry about fighting it. You just stay right and do the work of God. You're not going to change this world. I, I understand you want to be a politician, whatever. <laughs> you do what you want to do. Uh, I know some Christian politicians. I'm happy. Uh, you know, when a Christian becomes a politician, they go in there, that's great. But all I know is, it's going to be very hard for you to be a Christian politician. So be ready for that. And if you're going to be one, plan to be one for a short time because you're not going to be there long. Or you have to compromise. You understand. So our job is not to change this age. We can't. But you know, all we're supposed to do is really restrain it. We're just supposed to hold it back a little longer. Our prayers and our, and our conscience to this nation is just supposed to hold back the satanic tide that wants to wipe over our planet. And, and that's what we're doing down here. We're holding it back while we're throwing out the gospel seed at the same time and trying to get as many souls into the kingdom as we possibly can. And then the, the trumpet will sound and we'll be pulled right out of here and the sowing will stop. And the restraining will stop and the Antichrist will come on the scene and the devil worshipers will have their way. And they'll openly worship Satan. <laughs> and the only reason that they're not openly worshiping Satan today is because of you as God's children. Think about that. That's a power you have as a child of God when you're praying and when you're living right. <laughs> so we're not here to change this world, but we are a restrainer and we are someone that's supposed to sow the seeds while this restraining is happening. Amen? This world, it's wicked. A true believer understands that this world is completely corrupt. 1 John 5.18, we know that so whosoever is born of God sinneth not. How do you like that verse? Well, there's got to be a reason for that. That can't mean what it, that means exactly what it says. You say, well, what does that exactly mean? Well, if you look up the tense, I'm gonna, I'll read it to you and I'll, and I'll show you some things. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. What a powerful verse right there. You need to know that verse. Then it goes on to say, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We know it. A true believer knows that this world is saturated in the wickedness. And that's why we don't love it. <laughs> I always point out this point with Jesus Christ in John chapter 17 when he was talking to his father. He, he made a point to say this. I pray not for this world. 
There's just no renovating this world. There's no changing this world. There's no hope for this age. There's no hope for this structure. There's no hope for these politicians and what they're trying to accomplish. And maybe hope for the individual, but not for the system. And so the Lord says, I pray not for that. <laughs> but it's amazing. The thing that the Lord says, I pray not for, is the one thing that Christians are giving themselves to. And we're allowing it into the churches. And yet not one prayer of Jesus has ever been invested in any of it. I don't know about you. If I want to get involved with something, I at least want something that Jesus prayed for. Because Jesus is not involved in this world. <laughs> Amen. When he gets involved, you all know it. The Bible says he'll come. And the sword will come out of his mouth and he will smite this system with a powerful destruction. And the blood will flow. And the system will be destroyed. And he will set himself up as a king on the throne. And that day you can say, guess what? That world is done. Not renovated, destroyed. Not reformed, obliterated. <laughs> Amen. This whole verse here, it says, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. It's important to point this out. I, I read this verse to a man one time, and he, was, he drank a lot, but yet he started talking about God all the time. And I said, well, I just want to show you something. And I showed him that verse. What does that mean? Well, I guess I'm not saved. <laughs> I said, well, maybe, but let me explain this to you. The verb tense of sinneth not is what we would call it. I don't want to make like sound like I'm smart because I'm not really that smart, but I read a little bit, okay? Present, indicative, active. So what does that mean? So first off, the active part of that means that you're the one doing the sinning. So it's not somebody else doing it. You are the one doing it. And so the one, you are the one sinning, all right? The indicative mood, it asks a question or makes a statement. And so that really doesn't matter for our, our concept right now. But this present tense, this is important because the present tense always refers to a continuous action. So when it's talking about that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, it's talking about someone that is living in a lifestyle of sin and they never stop. See, folks, I don't know if you understand. I think you do, if you're born again. In your heart, there is something that you're very grieved when you get dirty. And for you to continue in that filth is a terrible existence for you as a child of God. And so, not only that, conviction from the Holy Spirit of God just overpowers your soul because he's inside of you. And he's got a place in you and you grieve him and you, you sense that grief of God as you're continuing in this lifestyle of sin. And so, there's things working against you feeling comfortable in continuing on in your sinful lifestyle. And not only that, there's the Heavenly Father. The Bible says that he chastises those that he loves. Now, you know, when you have a child and they're doing wrong, you give them a good whooping. Or you send them to the room or you do whatever you do to discipline your child in love, amen. And you do that to correct their behavior. You're going to stop doing that right now. When I talk to my children and they've done something wrong, 
the whole point, it's, it's really a couple things. The first thing is, I want them to stop. You will no longer do what you just done. Okay? Second thing is, now that you know that you shouldn't do that, and maybe you knew it before, so that changes things. If you knew it before, well, then I need to punish you because you're disobedient to me. If you didn't know it before, mark this down as your first telling. <laughs> and the next time you do it, you're, this is what's going to happen. You know? And so the Lord, what he does is he gets involved in a couple of ways. He convicts your soul, but then he also chastises you. If you can go on without conviction and without chastisement, you're not born again. And so when someone continues on in a sinful lifestyle, and let's say they're a part of the church, we have as our responsibility to deal with that one, to stop them. If they refuse to stop, then the Bible says they need to be put out of the church. And it says you need to treat them like a heathen, like someone that's lost. Because they're acting lost. So why do we want a lost person within the membership of the body of Christ? Because it doesn't happen. So you have to put them out. But not to destroy them. The Bible says that Satan will destroy their flesh. That means the moment you have church discipline, you put somebody out of the church... The protection of the church is off of that person, which is a real spiritual thing. I know a lot of people don't believe that. They think, oh, your little church, you're so cute. You think you got so much power. Folks, you'll be surprised what happens when this little church gets together and they have the same mind to do something for the things of God and the things that God will say, guess what? Because you decided that, I'm following through with it. That's why we don't quickly jump into these things. <laughs> We don't. We give it time. And we let God do a work because I know that there's a protection over these people until we bring it before the church and then that gets lifted off. And that's serious business. Serious business. Not something to be played with. Not something that we flippantly do. It's something we have to do to protect the name of Christ, his testimony, and the purity of the church, but it's not something we've got to rush into every time someone does something wrong. We show much mercy and patience with people. Amen? But all I know is, if a person is truly born again, when you go to them and say, you ought not be doing that, because they are born again, you know what they'll say? I know I know I shouldn't be doing that. Now, if they're telling you, I can do what I want, blah, 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 there's something wrong. Something very seriously wrong. Maybe they're just you know, being rebellious in that moment. But I'll tell you something, to someone that hears that, the only thing you can say is, that is not a born-again person. Do you understand that? You've got to be careful. <laughs> and so... True believers understand the corruption. They understand that. They understand the danger of this. Uh, let it be that true believers are not of this world, the Bible says in John 8, verse 23. It says, And he said unto them, You are from beneath, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Who is he talking to? The Pharisees. He's talking to these religious people. He says, You are from beneath. I am from above. You talk about, Whoa. <laughs> 
that's kind of an insult, (laughs) you know. The Lord said what needed to be said because it was true. But you know what else he said? John 17, verse 14. And I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray that thou shouldest, I, that thou shouldest, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So he's talking to the Pharisees. He's saying, you're from beneath. I'm from above. He's talking to you as God's children. You're from above. You're with me. You understand that? So what in the world do you do in living beneath? What in the world do you do in loving the things that are beneath? Amen? We are not of the world, and a true believer is not of the world. We must beware of worldly people that will spoil us with the world's principles, and that's what we see in Colossians 2.8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The rudiments are the base principles. The world. (laughs) There are people that are actively seeking to spoil you. You know, there's nothing more than someone that doesn't want to do right would love to see than to see you fail in your Christian life. And they can subtly do that. I find when people, when they quit church or they walk away from the Lord, they start dragging people into their defeat. You know what they want from these people? They want them to also walk away from the Lord. I mean, it's not rocket science here. You got to look at the equation and the people involved. Who wants me to do better? Who wants me to be blessed of God? Who wants me to find God's will for my life? That's a pretty good thing. Who wants me to quit on God? Who wants me to walk away from the Lord? Who wants me to live in this world? That's the person I need to stay away from. It's really not that difficult. You know, you've come a long way when woe unto them that call bitter sweet and sweet for bitter, light darkness and darkness light. When the one that wants you to do right and the people that are trying to get you to move forward for God are become your enemies and the ones that are trying to pull you out of God's will, they're your heroes? What in the world? (laughs) Satan has worked out a terrible strategy and you've fallen right into it. And why? Well, this one thing, I didn't like the way you did. Get over it, man. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're supposed to forbear one another in love. Don't take a weakness of somebody in the church that causes you to leave the church and now you're going to go live like the devil because you can't get over a weakness of somebody else? When the Bible has commanded you to forbear... They commanded you to forgive. (laughs) Amen? Yeah, we'll throw everything away because of that little offense we have in our little tender little heart. (laughs) You understand that, folks? So important we, we get to the base elements of what we're supposed to do here as believers and understand that there is an attack of worldly people against the church. 
It always has been, always will be. You're going to see it this year. You're going to see it next year. Well, I don't want to be a part of a church where there's going to be trouble. Well, then all you got to do is find a church that is like the world. Because the world will leave the worldly churches alone. (laughs) But the world will not let God's true believers alone. Do you understand that? I remember I dealt with this one man, and he told me, you know, he had a total other offense, and, and it was in Pemina Valley, a big church. We were dealing with hundreds of people. And this one man, he had a lot of children, a lot of family members. He just said, well, this is what this person said, and we're going to leave the church because he's done. So I sat him down with three other men, and I explained to him the truth about the situation. I said, I got proof. Here it is. Oh, now I've taken away his offense. Now there's something, nothing he can be. So he just said, well... I don't want to be a part of church where there just seems to be so much trouble. So now you move from having a real offense, something that had you thought was a real issue, but that got taken away from you, but now you're just really just looking for anything to cause you to leave the church and pull your family away from the things of God. I just told him, well, I says, I guess that's your choice, but if you're going to be a part of a Bible-believing church, there's always going to be trouble around. And the thing is, It'll be around, but it won't be in. This is a sanctuary. If it's in, that's a problem. (laughs) But that's where you take the trouble and you put it out. (laughs) Amen. Because you want to make it a peaceful place within. Folks, that's the way church life is. You know, you go through the scriptures, you find the writings of Paul, you see it over and over and over again. (laughs) Never was there a church doing something for God where there was not problems. He says, he says you know, I, I've not ceased to pray for three years with, with tears because I know the moment I depart, grievous wolves will come in and, and people will, will try to draw away disciples after themselves. Now, they wouldn't do it when he was there because, man, he was a Hawkeye. He dealt with it. He saw them come in. The Apostle Paul, I'm sure, would go up to that person and say, what are you doing? They wouldn't get away with it. But a lot of churches that have carnality are not willing to stand for truth and make the right choices. They allow that stuff to continue within the body. Amen? He knew that. (laughs) Wow. Beware lest any man spoil you. You know, this world is just wicked. The world lives by corrupt principles of freedom. Victory. Oh, this is how you have victory. This is how you have freedom. You want to be free? Do this. No. The Bible tells you how to be free. Equality. Let me tell you about equality. The world says you say, no, no. I will teach you about equality from the scripture. How about gender? The world wants to teach you about gender. They want to tell you there's a hundred and some hundred thousand of them. I don't know how many there are right now, but there's lots. And you just say, no, the Bible says there's two. Is male and female. About submission. Oh, we don't do that. Feminist movement will hang you out to dry. Well, what you do is say you're wrong, and we believe there is submission in the home. Submission for the man, submission for the woman, submission for the children, submission all the way down the line. The only one that doesn't have to submit is God himself. Amen? Family planning. What about abortion, birth control? Well, I don't see anything wrong with birth control. Well, have you looked into it? 
Well, I don't think, well, the thinking isn't really what it's all about here. It's about knowing. <laughs> Amen. You got to know some things. And if you know it, then you'll know it. But if you're just thinking about it, you still don't know it. In fact, the matter is stop, stop making decisions when you don't know. That's why the Bible says that we're, we're, we're supposed to live by faith. Faith is having a solid basis of truth underneath our decisions. Amen. It's not just, well, I believe this, this is my faith. Well, your faith has to be based in some set of principles. So you could have faith, but that faith could be in the worldly principles. Amen? Your faith has to be in Bible principles, you know? So I wouldn't think that anybody here before abortion in this church. But it's funny when you start breaking that down and getting a little more tighter with those principles. Well, you know, let's nail it down. Let's live for Christ. Let's not live for this world or the principles of it. They always got the answer. The world seems to know what, what women need and the rights of women and so forth. Evolution. Lies about the age of the earth. It's hard to get over that billions and billions of years. I love it. We take our kids to the, the museum. They have a great time laughing at all the billions of years. Dad! 40 billion! I encourage it. This earth is 6,000 years old. 4,000 years ago, there was a flood that caused all those fossils. There's no wonder people hate all that oil. It had to do a lot with the flood. Yeah. <laughs> Fossil fuel. Compressed bodies. Compressed dinosaurs. <laughs> Amen. It's driving our cars. I love it. Thank you, dinosaur. Lies about the age of the earth, the origin of life. Man, where did man come from? Oh, we came from a monkey. Well, I think, you know, I think the Bible says, you know, we could come from a monkey and still believe in God. No, you can't. Either God created you or you came from a monkey. Take your choice. Philosophies of guidance. Well, just follow your heart. I just seem to follow my heart. I end up at the right place every time. No, you follow your heart and you probably blow it every time. Or how about follow your conscience? Now, the conscience is a good guide. Not really. Your conscience is just something that's supposed to be formed to the Word of God. And so your conscience can help you in your daily life, but only as you feed the Word of God to it. See, your conscience is, is kind of like a blob. And it takes the form of whatever you give it. So if I give the conscience the Word of God, I start feeling bad about things that the Bible says I'm not supposed to do or I'm supposed to do. I say that's why a, a Buddhist feels bad that he didn't leave rice at the altar that day. It's because his conscience has been formed. So your conscience isn't necessarily supposed to be your guide, but it definitely does help you as you give yourself to the scriptures. Amen? It has to take the form of the Bible, your conscience. No fear of God, the Bible tells us. There's no fear of God before their eyes. We live in that age they mock righteous living today. We have a hard time facing that on the job when people come to you and they start you know, making fun of you, maybe bringing your Bible to, to the break room or reading the Bible in between. Don't let them affect you because the Lord loves it. He just wants to hug you. <laughs> Don't be ever ashamed of reading your Bible in front of anybody. Those people that are laughing at you are, are hell-bound and they need to be saved. And you know who's going to save them? Someone that's not ashamed of reading their Bible in front of them. 
When I lead someone to Christ, I go in front of people that hate the Bible and I take it out of my pocket and I read it to them. Show them what the Bible says. <laughs> I remember going to one door and knocking on the door and this lady was there and I started talking to her and, and I don't know, it just didn't come out of my mouth that we were from the Baptist church and so we were having a great conversation. Oh, come on in. And she thought we were really nice boys. And we were, <laughs> you know. We really cared about her. And we go into the house, you know, and we started talking. I said, oh, what church you go? Oh, I go to United Church. I said, oh, okay. And, and then I said, well, we go to the Baptist church. And then you can see. I says, you know, I've got a Bible here. I'd like to show you how to be saved. And I took out my little New Testament. It was a little thin little thing. And she jumped back two steps. She goes to church. Why are you so scared of the Bible? Oh, I'll tell you something. They're, the devil's in churches. I've seen it over and over and over again. These people that I've talked to that were so faithful to the churches are lost and going to hell. You open up the word of God, you, you, bring, you put it before their face, they jump back. They should be jumping towards it. Amen? Mocking righteous living. Focusing on the material life rather than the spiritual. I try to warn our boys about people like this and social media is full of guys like this. They promote the material living and it's all about what you can do and the power you have and how much you own and how, how powerful you are and how much influence you have. And that's one of the dangers of social media. These people have nothing. The Bible says their riches will fly away. Like, like that. They mock the aspect of working for your money. Oh, you're working for your money? <laughs> the Bible tells you to work for it. Those are the only riches that will not fly away. But you well, look what he's got. Right now he does. But those things will all fly away. Quickly. You know, be careful. Embracing sin rather than exposing sin. We live in that kind of lifestyle today. Even with Christians. Their children get connected up. They, they have sex relations together. They don't even correct them. They don't even put them in a situation where they can't get into those kind of situations. It doesn't even matter. Well, you're getting married anyways. You start kissing and petting and all that kind of stuff. It's not right. That's worldly. That's not pleasing to God at all. In fact, he says it's, it's, uh, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. So before they're married, they ought to be touching. <laughs> now, I understand you want to sit on the couch with mom and dad there and you want to hold hands. Well, ask permission. Maybe they might give it to you. Maybe you want to get a picture taken. You want to put your arm over here. You know, ask mom and dad. They may give you that permission. But we're talking about you be careful of being alone with someone and start touching. That's why we have chaperones. I know it's an old idea. But that's an idea that keeps many young people out of sin. Because I just happen to care enough about their future and their marriage that I want them to be blessed. Instead of cursed. Because all those things they do beforehand have to be dealt with after, afterhand, if that's a word. Amen. How about ecumenicalism? That's just running rampant today. All of a sudden, everybody, all the churches get along. It doesn't matter what they teach. We're just all trying to get along and uh, just trying to uh, show everybody the unity of Christ. There is the only unity we have with Christ is in the faith of the Word of God. The unity it revolves around doctrine. 
If you don't have doctrine, you don't have unity. And if you have unity without doctrine, there's something seriously wrong with that church. And that's why there's a lot of guys I respect that say, hey, I'm glad you're doing this out or the other, but you are ecumenical, and I cannot be a part of that. I love you, and I believe you're saved, but you're ecumenical. That's worldly. We cannot let that be a part of our church. We have to protect ourselves so that doctrine will find its way in and start, start uh, penetrating in and start infecting the body here. Like I always say, when you start getting a whole group of people together, whether it be a denomination, whether it be some association or whatever, automatically, all the groups will have to drop down to the lowest common denominator to have unification. Amen? That means if the wider the vessel is, the shallower the water gets. We're not looking at wide. We're looking at deep. <laughs> Amen. So, well, you're very narrow-minded, <laughs> but the narrower you put that, the deeper the water becomes. Do you understand? We live in a shallow Christianity. I was telling the kids, you'll be transformed. When I was a kid, we'd have those toys. They were called the Transformers. You guys remember that? Now, you don't know about the toys, but what you know about is the ungodly Hollywood movies. When I was a kid, we had the toys. Little robots, you could change them into little trucks. <laughs> Pretty innocent, you know. Nowadays, oh, let's make some big money. Let's put some naked women in there. Let's do this, that, or the other. But there's churches that do stuff like that. They'll have a Harry Potter theme in their church. They'll have a, uh, you know, a shack uh, theme in their church. They'll have this. Folks, we don't need stuff like that. We're going to reject that. Well, as a preacher, then I don't like you very much. Well, then you love the world too much. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And it says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's why the Bible says, if you, if you uh, have friendship with the world, you, you, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is, makes you an enemy of God? That's what happens. So you got to choose. You got to choose who you love here. Do you love the Father? Do you love the world? Because if you love the world, you've just committed adultery against your God. That's scripture. Amen. Is this too heavy for you tonight? Are you guys okay? You going to survive? Okay. <laughs> Jesus died to deliver us from this present evil world. I'll be done here. I'm not going to get totally through this, obviously. In Galatians 1, 3, it says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. To deliver means to take or to pluck out, to take out of the affliction or danger. So the Lord says, I not only come to save you from your future sin in hell, but I have come to save you from this present evil world that you're living in. Amen. So we ought to talk about this. We ought to preach about this. We ought to bring it out there. We ought to make everybody uncomfortable with these thoughts. Amen? Because it's real. These are real things you're facing. And it's only getting worse. It's worse now than it was when I was a kid. I didn't know what a homosexual was when I was a kid. 
They were not around. We did not see them. We did not talk about them. They were not on our agenda. We did not <laughs> need to know about it. Now our four and five-year-olds are talking about all these different LGBTQ and so forth. Then they know everything about them. That's how bad our world has got. So now's not the time to lessen our protective instincts on our family and our church. Now it's time to increase and to make sure we do more to protect ourselves from the ungodliness of this world. And I know that's not popular. And the churches out there will say, hey, you know, uh, you just love everybody. You're being so negative. In order for you to get something positive into your heart, you're going to have to get the negative out of it first, or there is no room for the positive. Amen? You've got to be empty before you can be filled. And if we're filled with this world... What can God put in us? How can he transform us? How can he make us from that little robot to the truck? We're already filled with the world. So the Bible says, reject it. Be not conformed. Get it out of your life. Stop taking in oodles of this information that this world is trying to get you to swallow that means you may have to turn off the TV a little more. You might have to turn off the internet a little more. You may have to stop spending so much time on the social media and, and doing all the video memes and so forth because all of that is planting in you ideas about this world. And you say, oh, there's, what's wrong with that guy? That guy's cool. Well, no, that guy's lost and he's going to hell. And you know, if you, if you want to help him, send him a gospel track in the mail. Or DM him and say, hey, are you saved? But following him and, and promoting him to other people is not going to help. Or girls or whoever. Amen? Let's be careful. Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That is our present state right now. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. We are translated into the kingdom of Christ. Let's live like it. Let's stand near to the king. Amen? Let's go to... I mean, what, what would that look like? Here he did all this to remove us from the kingdom, uh, from the power of darkness, and we're just playing with it all the time. Get near to the shepherd. Amen? Get near to the king. Present yourself. <laughs> Present yourself. And then reject this world's conformity. When you hear these things, you hear your family talking, you say, stop that right now. We don't believe that stuff. And maybe you need to take the Bible and show them. <laughs> this is why we don't believe that. Amen. The world wants to spit out our families and destroy them. Satan wants to use the world. It's his platform. And he's using it to tantalize and to bring people in so we can crush them and destroy their lives. And that's not the world we need to be a part of. Amen. Let's bow our heads. I know I have one more point here about renovating your mind. We'll talk about this next time. Maybe in Sunday morning I'll bring this up. Maybe there's something the Lord wants to speak to your heart about in, in relation to submission. Presenting yourself. Presenting your body. Allowing the Lord to use your external life. Not just your heart. Not just the Lord knows my heart. He does know your heart. But man sees your outward actions. Man sees your outward actions.
And it's important what they see about you. Because you're there to help them, to bring them out of that darkness, to bring them out of that kingdom of Satan towards the Lord. And maybe the world has just kind of worked its way into your thinking, into your heart. You're saying, you know, I need to deal with some of this. I need to renounce it. The Bible says to renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. And they are dishonest. Bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, I renounce this thing. I renounce that I gave myself to this concept. Maybe I renounce feminism. Maybe I renounce that false religious system I've been involved with, that works-based salvation. I renounce believing in evolution. I renounce these things. Lord, I want truth in my heart. I want you to pull out the darkness. 